Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. And welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to have a lot of fun, just in case you couldn't tell, (laughs) because we are welcoming Mr. Frank Mendoza to The Corner Booth today, a longtime participant on RestaurantOwner.com. Thank you for that a multi-unit owner, operator, three restaurants, I believe, in California, an operator and a chef, and we're gonna hear your story. So Frank, welcome to the Corner Booth. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Barry, for having me. I I probably watched your testimonial on restaurantor.com a hundred times. And then of course, (laughs) I I had my writers reach out to you to interview you. And every time I watch it, I'm just blown away. The story, I mean, you're a skilled professional, it was it HVAC electrician? You know, was, that's a really, really good job. And you decided you want to have a restaurant and everybody's saying, no, Frank, don't do it. Don't do it. And you say, hey, I'm going to do it. And I'm just blown away. And I want to let you take it from there. But I got to tell you, it's just an amazing story to me. Well, as Jim, Jim Lowe from restaurantor.com once said, the unlikely success story. (laughs) (laughs) I am unlikely. However, yes, I traded my tools, my HVAC tools for the pots and pans. I think looking back, it's probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made, but one of the most rewarding decisions I've ever made. My road to the restaurant business has not been easy (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. Looking back, I go, wow. It's been a long, it's 10 years since I got involved. Wow. Since I first started on a hot dog card that I purchased in Tijuana, Mexico. Okay, now that's going to require a little bit more fill-in. So we've been in the business for 10 years. You started with a hot dog cart that you purchased from Tijuana, Mexico. So I think our listeners would probably be very, very interested in hearing, how did that decision come about to leave the HVAC profession how did the hot dog cart idea come about? <laughs> well, How did that turn into the brick and mortar restaurant? <laughs> the brick and mortar restaurant. Wow. <laughs> By the grace of God, I don't know. It's just, um, well, there's always challenges in life. And there was a challenge before me. I had a nephew that unfortunately in 2008, his mother in Mexico had been shot and killed. Yeah. And it was very tragic. Whoa. I grew up in a small part of, Mexico when I was a kid. My dad actually kidnapped me when I was at the age of three. And I ended up in Mexico now because I wanted to. I was literally, my dad kidnapped me and took me away from my mother. And so my upbringing was in Mexico. And this kid, his mom used to take care of me. So his mother dies. She was shot eight times. And he ends up in the States. And I remember when his mother used to take care of me. And I say, hey, listen, you can stay at my house. I remember your mother well. And, you know, there's always something good out of something bad. 
And here there was an opportunity, you know, to take in this child. And I asked him, and he was 21 at the time, what do you know how to do? And he said this word, I'm a suchero. A what? A suchero. <laughs> yeah, I make sushi. Sushi? Yeah, you mean you mean the little the little ricey things that you pop in your mouth? <laughs> and that's how it started. I wanted to buy a food truck, but there were, you know, $50,000, $60,000. I had no idea. I always loved the food business. When at the age of 16, I used to work at Subway. And I just love serving people. And so that stuck with me. And I always wanted a food cart. Years later, I never had the opportunity. No skill. I used to burn eggs. But so I wanted a food truck and there was none around. So I went to Craigslist looking for a food truck and nobody had one. Then I went to Craigslist and I put the city in Tijuana, Mexico. I go, well, it's only two hours away. I just have to cross the border. Maybe somebody has something stashed in Tijuana, Mexico. And nothing came up and I put hot dog cart and lo and behold this hot dog looking cart that said sushi island and i said wait a minute they do sushi on that hot dog cart maybe that's my start so i sent the guy an email and the guy responded i had eighteen hundred dollars onto my name (laughs) i was about to get married by you with who gets married with $1,800. <laughs> so I said, do I buy the octa card or do I invest my $1,800 and, you know, some appliances, some down payments for my furniture? I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I negotiated this octa card for $1,500. And next thing you know, I have this hot dog looking sushi island. What it was. <laughs> in my front patio. So that's how I began. That was in 2010. And the story began with the, with the click of a button in Tijuana, Mexico. Wow. Now your, um, your concept is not what we would call traditional Japanese sushi. Um, you took it in a different direction, which honestly, until I became familiar with you, I had never heard of this <laughs> manner of sushi. And now it is a thing. I, I watched a television show and they were talking about the kind of sushi you talk about, but you, you do. But, but, but explain the direction you took this in. Well, uh, you know, uh, I learned from, uh, from restaurant owner, you know, you have to have three things. Now I know this, you know, concept. If you're going to go into business, you need three things. You need a concept. And we uh, termed the concept Mexican sushi. And people used to ask me, what is Mexican sushi anyway? I mean, there's sushi, Japanese sushi. Yeah, but I said, this is a when on this hot dog cart, people used to pull up and, and say, hey, uh, what kind of tacos do you sell? I said, I don't sell tacos. <laughs> I saw sushi on the street. And so we started to combine like carne asada, which is the stuff you find at the taco stand, you know, chicken and bacon and cheese, you know. And then we started to mix, you know, the, the, uh, the, the soy sauce, for example. Japanese sushi is raw. What we do, we just spin that. We use beef, carne asada, chicken, bacon. 
And then the soy sauce, it's traditionally salty. We started to add some acid to it, some lemons, and, and combine oranges for sweetness, and, and combine different soy sauces, and we made our lemon soy sauce. Mm -hmm. So when people go to you know traditional sushi places, they'll ask for the sriracha, they'll ask for the lemons, and, and, and they do their little sauce that way. So we started to make something fun, fuse uh, Asian ingredients with traditional Mexican ingredients. That sounds like uh, sounds like it's turned into a winning combination. <laughs> wow. so, so from the uh, ashes of a serious tragedy um, comes a, a an interesting creation and success. Uh, and so now you've got this cart. Um, how long did it take to find? How did those you know say the early years work introducing the product, finding the locations, creating the customer following? Well, to be quite honest, uh, honestly, a lot of it was sheer just determination. Uh, I had suffered in my lifetime. You know, I had been to prison for, for drugs. I actually spent nine years in prison uh, for drugs. Um, I was a young adult. I was a young man. I didn't have any mentors. I was ignorant on the belief that I was going to, because of all my upbringing, I blamed everyone for my problems, play my father for my problems. Um, and, and my brother that was in the, in the army, he once said this to me that really to this day, he, he said, you know what, Frank, stop making so many excuses about your life. You know, in the army, you know what's our, our, our saying? That the best excuse in life is that you got no excuses. He said, man up. And it happened to him in the army where he had to man up for something. And the lieutenant said, look, private, you need to man up. Stop making so many excuses. And I realized that I wasn't the victim, that I was going to use my past as my present, as a learning experience. So I, I, we, we turned something bad by allowing this kid to come into my house and giving him a house. But it turned into something good. Uh, so. In 2010, I, I realized that I love the food business, but I just didn't know how to get into it. And this card gave me an opportunity. And I used to cater on the street. And, and mind you, this is not health department ready. <laughs> Thank God that I was giving uh, tickets. And I remember one time I was serving. I had a lineup out the street. I can't say out the door, but on the street, literally. And I parked in between two taco, two food trucks. And well... The cops showed up. They said, hey, you got permits? I said, no. I said, kid, I'll give you two hours to get your cart and yourself off the street. I said, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't take my cart. That's, that's all I got. So I took this cart um, and, and I took it into a tire shop the next following weekend. And I would sell out everywhere I went. And I would, the owner from, from that tire shop, listen, kid, you, you got to go because... Uh, you're taking up all my parking. So then I said, I said, wait a minute. I just, I went to prison. I'm about to get married. And here I am struggling with this car, dropping oil all over the place. You know, I'm about to get into an accident because this, this thing didn't have an accident in the back and, and the weight was disproportionately. So make a long story short, I went to my home and I parked the car there and I said, I'm done. But people followed me. 
To your and home? To, to my front patio. So I put this thing right in the front uh, porch of my house. Wow. And, and people would say, Frank, do it again. This Mexican sushi stuff is just incredible. So I realized there was something there that gave me hope. So I said, well, from Monday to Friday, I'll be an air conditioning guy. And Fridays after five, I'll be a sushi man. Mm -hmm. And so I did out of my patio of my home on Fridays and Sundays only because Saturday was, a, um, I was courting somebody. I was about to get married. So I figured I, <laughs> I did one day <laughs> for, the, for the soon to be wife. And so I did it every Friday and Sunday after five because there was no inspectors. The city wasn't around. <laughs> so looking back, I mean, I didn't give up. Uh, yes, I did things a little bit different, but that's how I started on the patio of my home. Mm. Were you doing social media or they just knew that you were doing this and they found, found you? Well, in 2010, there was no Instagram. Um, there was not a lot of the social media that we have today. Yeah. yeah. But I, I started with one one of those green uh, uh, picnic chairs from, from Costco and it was borrowed and the little plastic foldable uh, table from, uh -huh. from Costco and it was borrowed. Yeah. And, and, I, and we, I ended up with six of those and, and 24 chairs. So the, the concept at my house uh, w was actually growing and I never kept the money. I told my nephew, Hey, listen, the money from whatever we generate from this cart, which is with about $400, $300. Mind you, uh, food was, everything was included in the $300. So I said, I'm not going to keep the money. You can keep the money so that you can keep yourself going. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a job. This will help you. And that's how I started. I never kept the money. He kept the money from the investment. I said, look, if you spend the money from this investment, the American dream might be over. And so, so manage the money wisely. I'll be here. And that's kind of like my road to hospitality. I realized that being nice to people and offering a great tasting product kept people coming back. Really, isn't it, the Chris, the basics of hospitality? Uh, it all starts there, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, um, even though I know you had... An, an extremely untraditional start <laughs> yeah. um, with a cart um, and the sidewalk. I love the part where the policeman says, I'm giving you two hours and you had to go. <laughs> you know, oh, and yeah. Of course, <laughs> selling product inside the tire store. Okay. That, <laughs> that doesn't really fit with traditional location selection either. The no. best part of this though, is the Friday night, Sunday sessions in the neighborhood <laughs> from the patio. Yes. So, but yeah, but to Barry's point, I think every listener can take from this that although they may not ever hear an initial starting story quite like the one we just did, that even so though, it still comes down to the basics that there was customer acceptance. There was a there was an, an, a, an interesting take on a product and that was your concept. And it was uh, wonderfully accepted 
So it just comes down to consistent execution, customer service. And you had that uh, right from the get-go. Th this, is, this is amazing. I imagine the next step you might take us through is where this becomes a little bit more of a traditional thing where you work off of the patio. When did you realize it was time to leave the Monday through Friday job, leave the patio production, and actually turn this into a full-time restaurant concept? Well, uh, I didn't know that for sure at the beginning. Obviously, I had my struggles in life. I had risked my life and, and I had paid for it with severe consequences. So I didn't want to take that risk again. But I realized that when, when a customer showed up at my doorstep or on my sidewalk, when he said, I found you, and I'm like, he said, you know how long I've been looking for you? I remember you used to post up on the street selling Mexican sushi, and I tried it, and I fell in love with your, your food. And I never saw you again. I go, yeah, well, <laughs> they took me out. And so, and so I have been driving from neighborhood to neighborhood, from street to street, trying to find this cart. And if people ever look up, if you put Sushi Loco cart, you'll find this cart. And it, it, it literally, on Google, you can find the cart and, and you see, wow, that's, that's the cart. So when he finally saw me posted on a Friday night, he came and hugged me, I found you. And I was so struck by it. I go, wow, there's something really there. So I kept on working the concept and I did that for about eight months, eight months. And I realized when, that, that was, there was something special when, when people were finding me. I mean, you know how they say location, location, location. Well, here I am on a, on a non-busy street. It's kind of secluded. And on Fridays after five, only two days and people were finding me. So I realized there's something special. People are finding me because they really enjoy the food. And then they really enjoy the fact that I made them feel special when they got there. Um, you know, coincidentally, I used to sell horchata, but people used to bring their own beer. <laughs> so they made it like a hangout. So I realized they were enjoying themselves with this Mexican sushi and having a beer. And... Um, but I knew that it was the, the environment that was created on these Friday nights, on these Sunday nights. I mean, people could have been anywhere else on a Friday night, but they chose to be at a hot dog cart at my house. So um, that's how I really took interest into this concept. When uh, I know there was no social media, but I did ask one of my customers, I go, hey, listen, if I was to actually go to a restaurant, would you follow me? And she goes, absolutely, Frank, I will follow you. So I did not know this. So I, it, I started to make a list. And I start, can I take your name and number just in case I ever do? And people were so willing that, you know, you know yeah, absolutely. They'll give me their address, their email. So I ended up recording about 200 uh, names and 200 emails, um, of which I never had to contact any of them when I did open because they all knew. Is this not incredible? 
I mean, this is developing the customer list from the most basic format. Well, you know, I, I think I think Frank Frank could be a Harvard MBA. You know, he 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 he, he, he starts with very low overhead and develops a super concept. And then he determines his market before he spends a lot of money. So he's got everything all lined up and he doesn't really pull the trigger until he's got his proof of contact, low, low overhead. He's already done his branding and he's got his, uh, he's got his marketing channel all set up, ready to go. Um, I think exactly. that's the way to do it. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, normally we hear this in reverse where people develop that, what we call customer loyalty, you know, where you go from having satisfied customers to loyal customers. Loyal customers are the ones that don't just come there because they enjoy it. Uh, they leave already planning their return. They're the mm -hmm. walking, talking marketing department. And you started with that. These people uh, that found you on the street and then bought from you in the tire shop and then went to your home, uh, <laughs> put their name on a list, mm -hmm. put their name on a list saying, I love you so much, open a restaurant and I will be there. This is normally what happens much later. Um, so where did you find your first site? Uh, and how did the first one come about? <laughs> My default again. <laughs> I, you know, I've always been kind of like, uh, as my kid would say, my, my, I have a seven-year-old. She says, I asked her, why do you ask so many questions? It's because I'm nosy, daddy. I guess I said, I'm, I guess you think after that because I'm nosy too. So I was going to go play softball. And, and I saw a four leads on a, a Chinese walk. That was just a sign, but it was empty. It had been vacant for, for a long time. And I go, man, every, every time I drive through there, it's like, it's empty and it's closed and it's enclosed. And so there was a number this time. And I say, hey, I said, pull up to that site. So I saw the number and I called and I said, um, uh, hey, I'm, I'm interested in renting your restaurant. Uh, how much do you want for it? He said, uh, $3,000. I said, $3,000, wow. I said, would you take a thousand? <laughs> he goes, this, this is not a discount store. I said, wait, 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 don't hang up on, wait, wait, wait. I am interested. I said, if I was to write up a proposal, will you consider it? And there were silence. Send me a proposal. Okay, can, can, I, can I get your information? So I, take the, I took this information down. I didn't tell my soon-to-be wife that I was, you know, looking at this restaurant concept, but I go, it's already a restaurant. You know, I'm a, I'm a HVAC plumber, electrician by trade. I can build it myself and, you know, I can keep the cost down. Um, maybe I can work something out. So I, I waited for, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote the proposal and I said the first year, I didn't know that everything was, you know, by square foot. I just shot numbers. I said, first year, uh, I want six months for free. I said, I want, because I need time to build it. And the first year, $800. Second year, I go, I'll go up another $300. Uh, so, and then third year, we will end up at a three-year lease, uh, $1,500. And then I, I finally told my wife what I was gonna do. And, and, and she goes, well, I'll help you. And the worst thing you can say is no. I said, well, <laughs> there you go. 
So I send it and he calls me back and goes, come into my office and we'll sign the lease. And I was just like, wait a minute. There's something there. This guy is saying that six months for free and the rest of the year, $800. And the next year and the next, and I was doing my, my payment based on what I was earning from work. I figured I can maybe keep my job and, and be able to pay my mortgage right home. I'm not going to put my kids or my kids, my, my family, my, my mother lived with me as well, my dad as well. I go, I'm not going to put them on the street. So I was not going to bet the farm. And I was refinancing uh, my mother's home at the time. And it just coincided that I was happy to, the refinance was going through. And next thing you know, the refinance went through. There was $55,000 that we were able equity in the home and my mom said give it a go uh, she was skeptical I said son what are you doing you're not a restaurant guy you're an electrician that's what you do um, but I'll, I'll support you and a lot of people said no my sister said Frank you cannot do this you cannot do this all over again it's like going to prison again don't do it but I thought otherwise I, I really believed in this concept and I gave it a go and I was in his office. I had the documents in my hand and he gave me the keys. And that was in 2010, coincidentally, December 15th of 2000 of this year. I'm gonna be 10 years in the business. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. And, and what a, uh, a, a business lesson for our listeners. If there's empty space and it's been empty for a while, You've got some negotiating power with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they don't like empty space, particularly if they own units adjacent to it. That doesn't help business for anybody. Um, and what a what a great deal that you you put together there. That was really something. I did. I just I did mention that though when he said three thousand dollars. I go. I said, how long has this place been empty? It's been empty for a while for a reason. I said, maybe you can have something in the back that has zero. So I said, just consider my offer. This part of your story is probably the first thing that maybe we can underline for the listeners that is a little bit more traditional and that you know they're <laughs> going to be dealing with. Uh, yeah. You had to overcome some questioning. Um, you had to rely on your personal determination. You overcame hearing a lot of no's. Any first-time startup restaurateur can probably identify with that. There, whether it comes from finance, whether it comes from investors, whether it comes from family members, there's going to be those that, you know, will be offering the no factor. Um, and, um, but if you do find a second generation spot, you can take something over, you can be really reasonable with your budget, like you were, then maybe they'll be able to say the same thing you're saying <clears throat> after 10 years of successful operations. Good for you. <laughs> So Frank, you open the doors, you, you have a lease. Um, it's a former restaurant space, but now you've got to staff it. I don't know if the equipment that was left behind was usable. You had to equip it. You had to do a number of things, I imagine, to get it ready to uh, invite the public in. What, what was, you know, what was that whole process like in those uh, first few months when you're getting going? Well, there, there, there was no equipment behind. The only thing I knew, there was a hood. There was a hood. 
um, and they had the, all the plumbing behind. So uh, I had to actually, well, equipment is expensive. So I found auctions where I would go to and I would pick up a three, three door refrigerator for 400 bucks and I had a pickup truck. So that's how I did it. I bought used stuff. They all broke down after eight months, but it, it got me the start. You know, so I didn't go out to purchase new equipment. First of all, I didn't know places that new equipment. All I knew that I need to, I needed to, to bring equipment, um, you know, also I, I, three compartment sinks, you know, as opposed to paying full price, I would get it for a hundred bucks. Uh, and so I would install it myself because that's what I did. And so that's how I got started with the equipment. <clears throat> and then when people, I, I said, I asked, I had three people living in my garage and it was my wife and myself, five individuals. So um, I realized that when people were coming in that they really enjoyed the food. And I said to myself, if I could make five couples fall in love with my food, I'll, I'll make them come back. So that's what was my goal. Make people fall in love with my food. So I was at the front of the house and then I would run to the back of the house and I was going back and forth because I, I knew that I needed to meet them where they were at the door. And when they did, I said, okay, five couples a day was 10 people. I opened only six days out of the week. I said, uh, that's uh, 10 times six, that's 60 guests. And I said, times four weeks. I said, that's 240 guests. And I realized, okay, if I can get to three months with more than 500 guests, I think I may be in the door. I just need them to fall in love with hospitality. You know, the kind of hospitality where you knock on, on your aunt's door and, or they knock on your door and you go, come on in. You know, you offer your, your family member something to drink. You know, make them feel special. I realized that I needed to make them feel special. And I did. And people just kept coming back. And then they were my advertisement. They, were, they started to tell everyone about El Sushi Loco, this Mexican sushi on this ugly little plaza. And it's still ugly, but it generates a ton. <laughs> but what's inside was what's special. It was not the outside that made it special. Is when you got into my door and you met, you met my staff and you met me and we give you the hospitality, that really made a difference. And that's how, that's how I started. This is really a good opportunity then. Uh, now, uh, now that you started and you painted a picture uh, for our listeners, this might be a good opportunity to tell everyone just a little bit about El Sushi Loco. Um, what are the menu offerings? What are the specialties? The style of service, is this full service or is this order at the counter? Uh, maybe you could walk us through a little bit of that. Is there a tremendous amount of takeout, curbside pickup, or is most of this dine in? We'd love to know. Well, uh, it, started, it started as, it's a fast casual. Um, you know, you don't need heels or a suit. It's a fast casual. However, um, you know, you, you have a hostess uh, somebody meets you at the door. I, I've always thought that's important for somebody to meet you at the door to make a difference with a nice smile. I wanted to keep that. I didn't want to make you, you know, serve you and and go off on your way. 
So we do have servers. Uh, um, so it's a fast, casual sit down. We have uh, in this particular location, I only had seven tables. <laughs> it filled up quick. Now we're up to, I think, 23 tables. Expanded, started with 2,000 square feet of floor space. I took over the lease um, until we were ready, which was another challenge. Uh, but I did so only when there was a line out the door. I realized that I needed to expand, and I did so uh, cautiously. Um, so it's 3,800 square feet of floor space, 23 tables. Uh, it's a fast casual. Uh, our menu is, is uh, Mexican sushi. So we have a sushi. Not, it's not your traditional sushi bar where you sit down. It's, you know, it's, uh, there's no sit down. And then in the back, there's two kitchens, actually. I'm the chef in the back. I do a lot of the, like, seafood and the hot plates, like spicy noodles and teriyakis and um, ceviches, ceviche with mango, uh, a little plate, that we, a rice dish called El Yaki Loco, which is, like carne asada, chicken, bacon with this, with this uh, rice dish. Uh, it's just incredible. And so um, there is right now, uh, we have a lot to go. My 85% of my sales is food. 10% of my sales is I make an horchata, a jamaica, a jasmine iced tea, and a lemonade. And 5% is a beer okay so just to give you the picture i'm a food guy yeah I, even, even though i have a liquor license right now where we can sell vodka we can sell you know you name it um long iced teas food 83 percent of it is, is is what keeps the doors open so this is really an asian mexican fusion i mean this is this is not purely Mexican sushi. This is, this is two culinary um, styles combined and across the spectrum. Absolutely. It, it is like East meets West. Um, we use Asian ingredients like, you know, like um, sake, rice vinegar, um, togarachi, which is like a chili pepper, uh, Osaka kanitama, which is fish cake. And mix it with, you know, traditional Mexican, you know, serranos and mangoes and, and you know, hot sauces, chili, like chili peppers, uh, poblanos. And, you know, like it's, it's two culinary worlds, really, wow. fused into one that and, 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 you know, if you know, sushi loco, loco is crazy. And I guess the concept mm -hmm. is just that it's a little crazy, a crazy world of uh, Asian ingredients with Mexican ingredients and just gives this diverse, fun. You know, people used to tell me, don't mess with my sushi. What are you doing? And I used to say, well, there's Korean tacos. You know, why not Mexican sushi? Well, I think anybody that uh, hears how you started, at least, would think that your concept is aptly named because this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a little loco. Uh, you are <laughs> a little loco. And, and the, the menu sounds wonderful. Uh, do you find that you're busier during lunch or is this more of a uh, dinner? Uh, well, at the beginning, uh, you know, it was kind of hard, you know, who eats sushi at 11 a.m., you know? But a lot of it's hot. A lot of it's, uh, you know, kind of fried. Um, so a lot of people enjoy uh, like the, the, the grilled or the tempura style sushis. And so 
uh, I kept us busy throughout the day. And I realized that I had to develop the kitchen in the back so that we can uh, uh, continue the growth because sushi, most, a lot of folks didn't really, um, you know, eat sushi, but I had a market. I had this, like the, who I was going to target was, it's going to be like the Latino people, the Mexican people. But you know what? This, when it, when it caught on, it was not just a niche market. You know, I had all walks of life walking in through those doors. You know, I had Asians. I had, you know, whites. I had everybody, you know, black folks, white folks, Asian folks. And so they were like, wow, this is something fun. So it kept developing the kitchen in the back, even though I was not a chef. I didn't know nothing. I used to burn eggs, mm-hmm. by the way. I used to, <laughs> I really did. I had to develop the, the kitchen in the back. So I started to make something like seafood uh, in the back. And so that combination kept the doors busy from 11 to all the way to 10 a.m., 10 p.m. at night. So um, we are traditionally a sit-down restaurant, but we really developed uh, the to-go, So which is a, a maybe 25%, 20% of our business is to-go. In fact, now that we're starting again, the to-go went up to 60%. So, but now we're, we ha- we're opening the doors here in California. So now I'm having to shut down the Uber uh, apps, the delivery apps, the phone. Sometimes I don't even have, I can't even answer the phones right now because there's some, so many challenges. So it's starting to go 60% sit down, uh, 20% phone orders, and the rest is delivery apps. So when you got started, um, you know, the food, the food sounds amazing. Everything that I can imagine I would like as well. But you really put yourself out there in terms of somebody who's going to be gracious and hospitable and make people fall in love with you. And you were going to exude that passion. And that was going to that was one of the things that was going to hook your your guests. And now people are coming in. The food's amazing. How much of that orientation that that hospitality over-the-top hospitality is part of the culture of your restaurant moreover uh, you know informs how you hire and how you train um is it as big a deal now or do people just come in because they just want this incredible food you know i've always believed that uh treating people kind and nice you know tends to open people's ideas and they look at you a little bit different. They're more willing to try something when you're just hospitable versus, you know, you a root server or a root hostess or a root kitchen staff member. You know, when, when you are kind to of people, people are willing to try, you know, they'll give you a shot. They'll even give you a second shot, even if your food kind of stinks, if it's not very good give you a chance to make up for it when you're hospitable. Um, nowadays, it's very challenging to be able to serve the consistent food and the delicious food equal parts hospitality because of the challenges that we face, uh, our industry is facing right now. Um, but if you can maintain a hospitable environment, not just with the guests, but with your staff as well, that is a recipe for success. 
you, I think you touched on what we're going through with the labor crunch in the <laughs> industry. Um, you know, how's that affecting you? How are you handling it? Um, what words of wisdom can you give? You've got some experience under your belt and now you're struggling with the same issues that every other operator is. What can we learn from you? Well, one of, one of the things that you have to do is, is you have to adjust. As an owner, you have to be able to adjust. Owner-operator uh, slash chef, you have to adjust to the environment. For example, we used to open at 10 a.m. We used to close at 11 p.m. Uh, you know, I, I realized that uh, we had to shrink our hours of operation. So some people are just, no, I'm not going to change. This is how we do business. Well, if you continue to do business like that, eventually you will die. The business, that is. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I didn't want to. I'd rather shorten my, my, my working operating hours uh, where I can still provide work for my staff. Um, and second, <clears throat> I was going to bring down food cost because what I did is I shortened the work hours, which you have to do. And if you get more staff, then you increase the work hours. Right. It's better to decrease the work hours than to close your doors. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to close my doors. I was willing to do that. And some of us are prideful. We don't want to do that, but I had to do it. And another thing I did, I got my menu. I go, okay, what is my most costly stuff in my menu? And it, it took me a while to, to do this, but I go, I have to do it. I had to remove items that were very difficult to do because sometimes it requires skilled labor. So if, if I didn't reduce the food items, I only have sometimes one kitchen worker, two kitchen workers. You know, I, I didn't have the luxury of a station. You're going to do the salads. You're going to do the hot. You're going to do the cold. I did not do that. So I go, okay, I'll eliminate uh, food items on the menu. And that will eliminate a lot of the traffic. And then the prep going into, we haven't even delivered it, right? So the prep was reduced. So I, I needed less people. The cooking was reduced, so I had less people. And that's all uh, I would suggest that you need to really look at your picture. Like Jim Love used to say, go to work on your business, not in it. And I go, okay, what can I do? Do you remember Titanic? Remember that movie Titanic? Yeah, sure. You know, it was a, a, a sinking boat. And I realized that as a leader, as a captain of the ship, my goal right now was not to make money. And that might sound kind of odd. Um, I did receive a, a, a loan from the government. I said, my, my goal is to be honest with this money and to do what it was intended to do. And to, it was not fishing anymore. You know, Titanic was sinking. And, and I realized that they needed a calm person to say, we're not sinking, we're gonna make it. So I realized my goal was to get people to shore safely. That was my goal. And when things start to, you know, the, the, the economy starts to open up, we, start, we started to have more challenges. Uh, the challenges of work, the workforce was, was going to uh, be reduced. And then I would start on what I used to do, innovate and market. So that is what, as a leader, you need to provide that calm. You know, I, I can imagine Titanic when people are saying, the boat is sinking, the boat is sinking. But you did have a captain at the helm that said, you know, I'm going to stay on, on the on deck and I'm going to give that sense of security for people. And that's what I did. I said, we're not going to sink. We're going to make it. 
In fact, my my salaries increased for my workers. You know, I started to provide uh, more more time for them so with their families. Uh, we give loans. So if somebody was having a hard time, they couldn't pay the rent. We we loaned them the money and they didn't have to pay it back and they didn't have to. Uh, or, you know, it's like $1,500, a car payment. You know, we use that money nicely for what it was intended for. It was for people like that that needed the money. And that's that's been my, my success that I take personally the people that work for me that they're not working for me, I'm working for them. And they, under, they understand that I'm gonna take care of them every step of the way. If they get sick, if they crash, if they can't pay their rent, then I'm gonna do what I have to do to get those people to safety. Okay. Did those, uh, you came from an industry before you did this that I, I would imagine is somewhat structured. Uh, there's checklists to follow, procedures you have to do with electrical wiring in order to get HVAC done properly. Then you jumped into the restaurant. Um, how did you uh, how did you put a team together or where did you go? How did you get the formulas together to start feeling like you were organized and, uh, and consistent and uh, able to operate well? Well, when something bad happens to you, that's when something good is about to happen to you. <laughs> so, so, so I, I was hitting a rut. I, I was not a restaurant operator by any means. I mean, I didn't know prime costs. I didn't know food costs. Food. I didn't know anything, anything like that. Um, and, and, and I wanted to throw in the towel. I said, man, I told my wife, you know what? I got a job. And I threw in the towel, really. And she threw it right back. And she said, you, you can't give up now. Smart words. Do what you always do. Find a way. And she said this, what, what, do, what do restaurant professionals do? And that hit the light bulb. And so I went into the computer and I said, what do restaurant professionals do? <laughs> and lo and behold, there was a page called restaurant owner dot com how to go from ordinary to extraordinary and that and there was a little video i think it was oh i think jim love offer a, a free template and i go that that's what got me jim your free template <laughs> so i clicked on it and there was a phone number and 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 this page popped up and i was able to sign up for 14.99 and that was uh, 2012 or something like that. And I, and I started checklists and systems, how to go to work on your business and, and don't do all the way. And I was like, whoa, whoa. So, and th that's how I really began on, on checklists and systems with restaurantowner.com when they, they offered, you know, how to create a system, uh, how to do a uh, checklist, you know, um, manage uh, a checklist, don't manage people. I go, oh, well, that's a good one. Manage a checklist. You know, every day you got to tell people to turn on the light, turn on the televisions, turn on the air conditioner, taste the, the objective. I'm like, Ooh. I said, why not write it down? Like Jim Lowe from restaurantowner.com is saying, right? Do a checklist. You know, so I created a checklist. That's how I started. You know, turn on television. And my wife was good at, uh, you know, Excel, so she could write a spreadsheet. 
and I wrote everything down. And I said, all these things, how to open the restaurant. And, and, and I got some formats from restaurantowner.com that was, you know, I was able to adjust to make it my own. And that's how I started. And I made a phone call. And next thing you know, I get this, you know, name, man named Jim on the phone. I, and he said, Frank, I'm going to send you a webinar about culture. You need to hear this. You seem like the person that would benefit from this. And I said, okay. So he sent it over. And after that, tell me what you think. Because I want to invite you to San Antonio. And that was years later. And I ended up doing that. So I, I took this webinar uh, or seminar, uh, the, you know, how to go from ordinary to extraordinary that literally changed my life. Wow. That's good. That is so good to hear uh, that you were able to find uh, the method through the madness and, <laughs> and, and, and formulas to follow, uh, ways to make it your own. Um, because then the next step, sooner or later now, you're thinking that you're operating better and more consistently because you expanded. Isn't that correct? Don't you have three units now? Yeah, there's three units. Well, so how does that change your role? And how are you like now with three units to work on rather than the old days with the one? Well, you know, I, I, I have, now that I've gotten really involved, I realized that as you grew, the challenges also grew. People think that your finances are gonna grow, but in reality, the challenges are also gonna grow. Because when I opened my second business, it was like a boat with a hole in it. So I was excited. I'm gonna go into my second restaurant. I'm doing very well. Uh, but I realized that that was not the case. The second restaurant was actually sucking all the life out of me and it wasn't producing anything. And so um, my first location produced, got to up to $3.3 million on 3,800 square feet. Okay. And so now it was going to do a lot less because I was building the second restaurant with my money, which I made a mistake, um, you know, building it from my earnings where I should have got a loan. I didn't do that. I didn't leverage the bank. And so it kept, you know, reduced all my capital to, to literally, you know, like zeros. So I've made a huge mistake there that I, I think it's important for people to know that, you know, make a business plan before you engage in any uh, business. I didn't do it. I just had a lot of sheer determination. <laughs> so the second concert I went to work again, what I did on the first one, hospitality and food and now and eventually after like about eight months they like it caught fire and it was producing and right now it's my the best store that i have right now it's doing phenomenal numbers even in a pandemic you know we got up to as well my first store in la puente was creating that 3.2 million and the other one was right there 3.2 so i go wow this is this is something special so, but it was a challenge to maintain the recipe the same, the soy sauce the same. Right. So we created a checklist and, and, and everything was the same. So I had to, I measured everything. They say, whatever you measure, you could analyze and manage. I did just that. I had a weight scale and I was good at weighing. So I said, wait a minute, huh? that chicken looks like a lot to me. It looks like a pound. No, how much do you think that chicken is? 
So I got three of my cooks. I go, okay, everybody cut a piece of chicken. And so, and they all cut a piece of chicken. One was 16 ounce, 15 ounce, 15.4 ounces, almost a pound. Another one was 12 ounces. Another one was, you know, seven ounces. I go, they're all the same. I say, why don't we start measuring it? So I cut the, we're going to determine the size of the serving. I said eight ounces. And we're going to use the scale. So that's what we did. So now it's eight ounces. You're not giving. You know, you're giving away the kitchen, by the way, with 16 ounces. That's two servings, you know, and, and so we're always inconsistent. You'll give it away every third try. So why not just cut our chicken the way we're supposed to measure it? And you know? so everything was measured. The French fries started to get measured. And so my bottom line started to increase. My food cost went from like 40 to 35 to 33 to 32. And right now, believe it or not, my food cost, my prime cost in one restaurant is 46%. Wow. Wow. I, I, know, I know I'm killing people with 46%. It tells me a lot, right? That 46%, when you're able to deliver that prime cost, that 46% is just, and, and, and I know that's because the sales are going up, but since there's no employees, the labor's coming down. Prime cost management, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, we've been talking about that for how, well, you've been talking about it for decades, Chris, and, and restaurant.com. I mean, that's sort of the uh, 101. And now we're seeing that it's, it's no longer optional to, to stay afloat in this environment, is it? No, I think that's, that's, I think that's a really good summary right there, Barry. I think that's what I'm taking from listening to Frank is that, you know, there, um, there are the standards and no matter how you get into it, because there's definitely an untraditional entry that we just heard. <laughs> uh, no matter what the challenges are, um, you can successfully expand as Frank has done, um, but it is gonna come down to being able to manage the basics. And you've done such a tremendous job of that. Your care for people as you've gone through this uh, resonates through the story and the fact that that means they'll help you maintain the consistency so that you can feel confident in expansion is uh, is a tremendous success story. And I think for all those listeners who are also using and relying on the basic principles that they can see through restaurantowner.com, I think they would probably agree that, the, that it's going to come down to system knowledge. It's going to come down to consistency, knowledge of numbers, management of prime cost. That information is there. You found it there. And I'm so happy that you found it to be helpful. Yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I don't search for information anywhere else, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I, I get inspired by, you know, reading books and, and seminars. But at the end of the day, right now, and now with learning systems and restaurantowner.com, it, it's a one-stop shop. Um, I'm not selling restaurantowner.com. I'm just telling you the truth. And I want people to know the truth that there is help out there, you know, like Joe Erickson, Jim Love, and including yourself, Chris and Barry. That, I mean, I, I think about the couple that um, invested all their earnings into a restaurant that are now broke, or that the marriage is now in shambles because the wife, uh, told the husband, don't do it. They spent all this money chasing this dream and now, you know, they're broke and, and having to live, you know, from check to check. 
So restaurant owner and the systems and the learning courses, because there's a learning course on prime costs specifically that I gave my staff that they started to realize how important food waste was when they asked me for a raise. And I would give them some numbers. I go, you know what they, you want to raise? You just gave it to the trash can. You just threw the chicken away. You just threw the shrimp away. Look at what it did to this, to this number. Yeah. And so look, why don't you help me give you that money back? And they're like, what do you mean? Yeah, help me maintain the waste low or zero. Eventually, the, this prime cost number, this food cost will go down. And, you know, we, we give you raises. We give you bonuses. You know, we give you, you know, loans. You know, so how important that number is for people. And I only would have known that if I would have actually learned um, prime cost. And on a weekly basis, there's no exceptions. I have uh, somebody that does the prime cost. And every week, week by week, I'm not, week by week, every Monday, I believe she, or Tuesday, she gives it to me. And I have the three locations and it'll give me uh, La Puente, Downey in the city of Pomona here in Los Angeles. And it'll give me, you know, and I'm 46, 48, where one of the, the latest restaurant was at 75 at one point. Mm. 75% I go, man, I'm losing money. Maybe I should consider selling this location. And I don't know, even I think in the pandemic, you know, something happened. But it, I knew that it was because we were innovating, we were restructuring, we were limiting items from the menu that sometimes we don't want to let go, but they were costly. Mm-hmm. And that decision, one point, two points, and eventually got down to below 55%. I go, wow. Now we're in the money. Mm-hmm. So for me, restaurantowner.com gave me my life back. I'm able to be home with my children. Mm-hmm. In fact, I went to school for culinary to be actually become a chef. I did it backwards. <laughs> I guess I'm backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on you that. Know, that's, that's a big deal. That's, that's really great. Well, I hit another rut. My wife goes, why don't you go to school? <laughs> exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife, you know, was like stuck again. And she goes, why don't you go to school? To school? Yeah. Well, like, what do professional chefs do? Sure. And I said, well, I go, will you support me? I mean, I got my kids. I, you know, I have two. I'm a father of two, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I, and so she went with me. We, so I scheduled a tour with, uh, it was, used to be a cordon blue here in Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. And I said, well. I just might do that. So she she went with me and we scheduled a tour. And next thing you know, I was enrolled last uh, February, but then the pandemic hit and uh, the, the school closed and I stopped going. And once they opened up, I said, I'm not going to go back. But then I go, well, I don't give up. I don't, I don't want to give up. What am I going to tell my kids? Just, uh, just give up and, and I go back. So they asked me, daddy, are you going back to school? I said, no. And she looked at me like, so one day I said, no. You know, Chef, I got to tell you, I'm sure Barry agrees that uh, when they write the book, um, (laughs) Frank Mendoza, El Sushi Local, I think it's going to be titled Sheer Determination. You simply (laughs) give up. Um, We could, um, you know, we could learn from you 
Um, and we could, uh, you could produce, I think, a, a webinar just called Sheer Determination, Never Give Up. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up for now. Okay. But, but it's really more than that. I mean, and, you know, I'm thinking, what's the tagline on the on Restaurant Startup and Growth? A profitable restaurateur is always learning. I mean, I think I'll create a Frank Mendoza checklist and you just follow <laughs> it. And this will, if you follow it, you you may be able to be successful in the business. It's, uh, you know, it, it's really amazing. I The, the story, um, and then I learned the trajectory um, Gosh, I, I just, I wish you all the luck in the world, but I don't think you need luck. I think you, you just know what you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I think um, I, I keep on doing what you're doing right now because believe it or not, this is life-changing stuff. This is not a hoax. This is not a gimmick. It's not a joke. The restaurant business can, can uh, break you down, but as it can be so rewarding, it's giving me my life back. And the finances produced from selling food and being in the restaurant business can be so amazing. You can have the life that you want. You can be in Cancun. You can be in Puerto Vallarta. You can be in Vegas. If only you follow, you know, what's on, you know, restaurant startup or rest or restaurantor.com. It is life changing. Either, either you can be a slave to your business, or you can have some freedom and be able to get back. Wow. Well, everyone needs to check out El Sushi Loco. Look <laughs> contact Frank Mendoza. Uh, we really, really appreciate the time you've given us today, the story that you've shared with us today, how you've learned from the trials that were and tribulations that you had to overcome every hurdle and how you how you excelled at every challenge thrown at you. Uh, this has been wonderful. Um, and so for all of us here at the Corner Booth, uh, thanks again. And we wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. God bless you guys. And the best is yet to come. Hopefully we'll catch up with everyone on another episode of the Corner Booth very soon. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. <laughs>